Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Gina Judge, founder of the Millennial Money Guide. Gina Judge is a licensed mortgage broker, financial consultant, and award-winning financial money coach. She's the host of the Millennial Money Guide, and she teaches her audience how to invest, build credit, manage student loans, and obtain a mortgage, even become debt-free, all while living a fulfilled life. She has over five years of experience in the financial industry, and Gina's helped thousands of Canadians improve their financial well-being. In 2019, she was nominated for WXN's Emerging Leaders Award, an award that recognizes 100 of the most powerful women in Canada. Welcome, Gina. Gina, thank you so much for coming on to the Miss Independent podcast. So excited to have you here and to like actually get a chance to chat all things mortgages. I feel like there's been so much going on in the world right now that is so heavy and uh, just a lot for people to deal with. So I want to just take a minute and take a step back before we get into any of the interesting mortgage stuff that we're going to talk about, just to acknowledge the fact that like it's a tough time for people to be going it is, through. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. Like you, you log into social media and you see some of the challenges and difficulties that people are facing. And I think for me, it almost makes me feel so grateful. I'm like, sometimes we get so stuck in our, like our mundane routine and we're always complaining about like little things that are happening. And then you realize like on the other part of the world, people are like, you know, they don't even have shelter or food or they're like trying to leave a war zone. So I completely agree. Mm-hmm. especially like thinking about mortgages and, and housing in general and the fact that like people are literally sleeping in bomb shelters you know and it's it's so crazy to think about but like this is the reality for some people so totally yeah definitely feeling really grateful to be here in Canada to be safe like that's 100%. something that I think about like on a daily now I am yeah it's something that I've definitely been thinking about too and like Even when they said in the Ukraine, like any man between the ages of like 18 to 60 has to stay back and like may potentially have to fight. I just thought about like all the men in my life and like how scary of a reality that would be if that ever happened in Canada. 100%. I also feel like the men that are out there are built different. Like I'm trying to think about my friends going going to war and it's not not a good look. No. no. But I guess, I guess um, hard times build strong men. I don't know if you've heard that saying. I have. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to keep it, keep it light, keep it positive. And I uh, just wanted to acknowledge that because it's a tough time for a lot of people right now, but I'm excited to be here chatting with you. And uh, today, the whole purpose of the conversation um, is to get out a lot of questions that like people from my audience and from your audience probably as well. Uh, like you talk a lot more about mortgages. That's why I wanted to, to kind of do this cross episode to have you come on and um, talk about what your background is and, and what you do. But before we get into that, I want to uh, bring to light like misconceptions that people have about mortgages. And that's where we'll start. So what do you think the top things are that people get wrong about mortgages? The first thing that I see is, oh, I have 20,000 saved. I'm good to go. I can get a mortgage. So I think the amount that people need to have saved for a down payment is a big misconception. Um, And one of the reasons is they think that all they need is the down payment, but they fail to realize that there's property transfer taxes in some cases, closing costs, inspection fees, appraisal fees, and all of those add up. Um, another misconception is income. People don't realize that 
you know, when you go to a bank and you try to get a mortgage, great that, that you're working, but banks also have certain guidelines when it comes to the forms of income that they'll accept, the amount of income that they can use. Another misconception is, you know, I have this giant down payment, which is great, but I also have a car loan, a student loan, and they don't realize how much of an impact that debt can really have on their mortgage application as well. So those are like the top three that come to my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I saw this on TikTok the other day about, uh, I don't know if it's a meme now at this point, somebody getting a Range Rover the day before her closing. Oh my gosh. I saw that one too. It's so bad. And it's like, that's why it's so important to have these conversations because at the end of the day, if it's your first time getting a mortgage, you simply wouldn't know better. It's not like they teach you this in school or like your parents would tell you too. Right. So, yeah. So I worked with a mortgage broker when I was uh, getting my first place and they actually walked me through some of these steps, but it's definitely like not something that you would know. And I think with the amount of marketing for financial products, um, it's really easy to fall into that trap of like signing up for a new credit card, for example, as you're in the process of buying a house. But that's so like, that is so the wrong thing to do. Yeah. So I'm yeah. happy that you brought that up. Yeah. Like adding on new debt or even pulling your credit close to getting a mortgage application, you would want to minimize the amount of times that your credit bureau is being pulled unless it's absolutely necessary. So there's definitely a ton of things that people just don't know. And unfortunately it can impact their ability to qualify for a mortgage um, or it can even de like delay the entire process in itself, which sucks. hundred mm percent. -hmm. I think there's so many misconceptions and there's, there's a lack of information that like people don't talk about this stuff. They don't teach the stuff in school. And it's, it's a challenge because like when you're thrown into this process, it's almost like you're learning all of this new financial language and you're trying to figure it out. So having somebody hold your hand through the process is really key. Um, but I, I had like a huge range of questions when I mentioned that we were going to do this joint episode and people were asking me all sorts of like things. Um, the first thing is I had people ask me what a mortgage was to begin with, which I think is like such an interesting thing because you know, we, we hear about mortgages all the time, but yeah, yeah. can you, can you help us understand from the basics what it is? Yeah. So obviously when you're purchasing a house, depending on where you live, like I live in Vancouver and nowadays to even buy like a simple town home is well over a million dollars based on current economic conditions. So generally speaking, what a mortgage is, is when you're purchasing a property, the average person doesn't have a million dollars in cash, nor would I recommend buying a house outright outright if you do have a million dollars in cash. So what you do is when you purchase a property, you put a certain amount down and that's the down payment. And then the remainder of the purchase is financed through something called a mortgage, which is essentially a loan that you pay over 25 to 30 years. Interesting. Okay. So I think that's a key point, um, either 25 to 30 years. People don't realize that like when you buy property, you're, you're in it for the long haul because you're yeah. paying off that debt for a long time. But um, there are some questions that I had about whether or not you should pay off your mortgage early. And I have some thoughts on that. What, do yeah. you, what are your, what are your thoughts? What's your philosophy? I don't think that you should pay off a mortgage early, especially based on current more, um, interest rates. So I've seen situations where clients get an inheritance and they're like, okay, I'm just going to take this inheritance and pay off my mortgage and become debt-free. And I think it's that idea of being debt-free that makes them want to do this. But the conversation that I always have with my clients is, okay, let's look at the rate on your mortgage. Like right now, a five-year variable rate is around 1.5%. So that mortgage, you're paying 1.5% to have that outstanding debt. Whereas if you had a lump 
sum of money, like let's say you got $100,000, instead of taking that 100K and throwing it towards your mortgage, why not invest it into something like the stock market where you could easily earn anywhere from eight to 10%. So I think it's really important to sit down and decide like, okay, how much money could I make on this 100K? Um, You know, does it really make sense for me to pay my mortgage off early? In most cases, probably not. Um, But again, it totally depends on the person and their situation as well. Mm -hmm. I think it just comes down to like rewiring people's thoughts about debt, like understanding that there's good debt and there's bad debt. And, you know, I personally, like if you are in a situation where you can leverage debt, like that is such a privilege. For sure. And I love the idea of leveraging as well, because people don't really understand it. Um, Like you mentioned, we kind of have to rewire our thoughts around debt. Of course, if you're carrying high interest rate debt on credit cards or any personal loans, then it could make sense. But when you're in a nice, comfortable position where you own a home, you can tap into the equity of your home leverage and use that to invest into other assets that potentially produce income for you as well. So that's something that I really think needs to be taught in school. Yeah. Can we, can we walk through that process and break it down? I'm currently in the process of doing that right now. Getting a HELOC, yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's such a, an important thing that people don't talk about and don't know about. And it's yeah. like such a great way for you to tap in and get your equity back in a sense. So hundred percent. So pretty much when you purchase a property, um, you know, you buy something today and just like any asset, the goal is that in a few years or 10 to 20 years, that asset is going to appreciate in value. And we see that with property, especially in BC, um, you know, property has appreciated by quite a bit over the last five years. So let's say hypothetically, you know, even last year, if I purchased a condo for like 500,000 last year, I could probably sell it today based on current marketing conditions for at least 600K or more, depending on where I bought. So now what's happened is I bought something for 500,000. I've slowly paid the mortgage down. I made a small dent. But on top of that, my property has gone up in value. So now I'm in a unique position where I can tap into the equity of that property and pull it out. And in most cases, the best way to do it is to go to your bank that holds your mortgage and request to apply for a home equity line of credit. A home equity line of credit is basically a line of credit that's attached to your home and or the bank is using your property as collateral and it allows you to tap into the equity to pull it out and use it for anything, whether it be investing, renovating, sending your kids to school. Um, But it's a nice flexible way for you to tap into that equity, pull it out and use it to make other investments, whether it be putting like a deposit on a pre-build, investing it in the stock market. I feel like the options are endless. Definitely. I feel like a lot of people are almost hesitant again, because it involves leveraging debt, but it's, yeah. it's such a great way to, um, to build a real estate portfolio too. Like there's a whole strategy that's built around this where you buy a place that's, you know, preferably undervalued. you renovate it, you rent it out, and then you refinance it. So that's when you go to the bank and you pull some of that equity out. hundred percent. And rates are so low that it makes sense to do that. Yeah. Not in, not in the Ukraine right now and in different places in the world rates are um, crazy, but we're definitely blessed um, to be living in a place where the rates are so low and talking about rates. I know that there are some rate hikes that are built in or priced into the market. I think they're estimating right now it's seven rate hikes that are priced in. Yes. So what, what does that mean for consumers and what does that mean for people that are wanting to buy or already own? That's a really good question, a really good point that you're making. So basically when the pandemic occurred, um, 
interest rates dropped and that was kind of a way of boosting the economy um, because when interest rates drop, it makes it easier for people to qualify for loans, which is one of the reasons as to why our market has been so crazy and housing prices have gone up. Um, however, it's not sustainable for the Bank of Canada, for example, to have such low interest rates. So what's going to start happening and what has already started happening is banks are going to slowly start raising interest rates now. I believe they're meeting again in March and they likely will raise rates. I've personally already seen certain banks start to raise their fixed rates. For example, fixed rates are for like a five-year fixed is around 3% right now. And the five-year variable rate is around 1.5 on average. So what that means is if you're someone that wants to purchase and wants to get into the market, now is the best time. Don't hold off because you think prices are going to drop. Even if prices were to drop, the minute interest rates start going up, it's going to impact your ability to qualify for a mortgage. And as, as a result, you might not be able to qualify for such a large amount and you would have to put more money down, which we've already talked about. Most people don't have a ton of like liquid cash that's available for them to increase their down payment. So my recommendation is if you've been on the fence about buying and you know that interest rates are slowly going to start rising, put a plan in place to get into the market now. Do you think that's why there's been such a, a high spike in demand right now for housing? Like in Toronto, at least I know our markets are similar, not quite yeah. the same. Like yeah. we can still find a townhome for like 800,000, not, okay. not a freehold. Yeah. Um, but um, with, with rates, I feel like there's such a lack of supply. Not a lot of people want to sell because their home prices are skyrocketing, but demand is just through the roof exact same thing in Vancouver. We don't have enough supply and the demand is crazy high, which is why I keep saying like, yeah, rates are going to go up. But I honestly don't think that based on the markets that we reside in, that it's going to impact it too much because there's still such a need for housing. And that's the, that's the bigger issue at hand. In addition to this, I think in Canada, they're saying that there's going to be somewhere around like 400,000 new immigrants that move into Canada um, and places like Toronto and Vancouver are prime areas where people want to live so yeah I think I answered your question I'm going on a tangent now but I I honestly don't think that with rates going up it's going to impact the market too much because the need for housing is still there yeah I definitely I definitely agree with you the one thing that I think is also a big misconception is like I have a variable rate for example mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people were uncomfortable with getting a variable mortgage knowing that rates are going to go up but what people don't realize is that when that happens, if rates do go up, you just pay down less of your principal. And so technically less is going towards your actual equity on the, the property. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but if you, somebody's on the fence between like fixed or variable, what do you usually tell them? I usually say variable and I'll explain to you why. So you pretty much nailed that part of it. For example, if you get a variable rate mortgage, I'll just start by breaking down the difference. With yeah. a variable rate mortgage, it's based on an underlying benchmark rate. And in Canada, that's prime rate. So if the Bank of Canada raises prime, when you have a variable rate mortgage, your interest rate increases. On the opposite end, if the Bank of Canada reduces the prime rate, then your variable rate would drop. So the reason that people are on the fence is one, they're like, oh, it's a fluctuating rate. Like what if it goes up? Um, But some things to be mindful of is that with most financial institutions, if you do have a variable rate, they usually have this option where you can lock into a fixed rate 
throughout your term. So if you hear, hey, rates are starting to go up and you decide to lock in, you have that option. Another thing that I really like about the variable rate is that it's so flexible. Let's say between now and the next five years, you decide, hey, I need to sell my property. Um, I need to break this contract for whatever reason. You are going to pay a penalty but the bank is only going to charge you three months of interest. Whereas if you have a fixed rate where with the fixed rate, people get peace of mind because their rate cannot fluctuate. If they decide to sell their property, they're going to be in a position where they pay a very hefty penalty. And that penalty is called the interest rate differential. So I like a variable rate because I think that it gives flexibility. You, if God forbid you have to break the term for whatever reason, you're not paying an arm and a leg in penalties, you can lock into a fixed rate. And even then with the hikes that we're expecting, I really don't think that the variable rate is going to outpace the fixed rate anytime soon. So I usually recommend a variable, but again, it's a conversation that needs to be had with each individual person to see one, how long are they holding on to the property for? Um, what are their goals with this property? And just to get a bit of a better understanding about of their unique personal finance situation. Definitely. And then outside of variable and fixed, there's also open and close, which has like a big impact as well. And I know with, um, with my partner, for example, we had to pay like a significant penalty because we had a closed mortgage yep. and coming out of a closed mortgage, when you sell, that's when you incur um, exactly what you were talking about. And when I was going through that process, I remember it was really stressful because that changes that penalty can change day to day. Yeah. So even though they, and it, I still don't understand, and maybe you can shed some light on this, is how that is actually determined. Yeah, so an open mortgage usually makes sense if you know you're going to sell your property. So I'll tell you some situations where someone might have an open rate mortgage. So with an open rate mortgage, it's instantly a much higher rate, but it makes sense for someone where, for example, let's say they know that they're going to sell their property in the next three months. Like let's say they finished renovating it or they just built it and now they know they're going to sell it. An open rate mortgage might make sense for that person because they can pay the full balance of their mortgage outright without paying any penalties. So that's the benefit. But it doesn't really make sense for someone if they're planning on living there for like an extended period of time because the interest rate is usually significantly higher, but the penalty, there is none. Now, um, in addition to this, I, what was the other part of the question that you asked? How they determine the penalty. Yes. So there's two types of penalties. The first is with a variable, it's three months of interest. So that's standard. And then there's the interest rate differential, which is what you're charged when you have a fixed rate mortgage. And the interest rate differential, there's like a big formula to, as to how they calculate it. But I'll tell you some of the factors that go into calculating that penalty. So they take a look at the rate on your mortgage and then they compare it to interest rates today. So if you had a very high interest rate for for example, when the pandemic first happened, people had high interest rates and they wanted to break their terms because they're like, wow, these new interest rates are so low. I want to resign at a much lower rate. But when they went to the bank, the bank said, OK, wait a minute, you're about to break your contract with us. You were paying close to like, I don't know, three and a half percent. Now we're going to take a look at the length of time left in your term, compare it to rates today and charge you a penalty. And in some cases, those penalties are like very high like 20 to 40 grand, depending on the size of the mortgage. So with the interest rate differential, it looks at the length of time remaining. It looks at your current interest rate. It looks at um, 
it looks at your interest rate and then existing current rates that are being charged. And then it also takes a look at the outstanding balance of the mortgage. All of those things can impact how it's calculated. Gotcha. Okay. So the big thing that I'm hearing is unless you want to hold on to your property for a very, very long time, yeah. try to avoid a fixed closed mortgage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the elite's person, like with my mom, she's very risk averse. So for her, I could see like, it just gives her peace of mind. So if, if that peace of mind is like of utmost importance to you, maybe go with the fixed rate. But for most pre- people, I would recommend variable. Mm-hmm. I remember, so I just came back from a, a big ski trip. I went to Revelstoke. I was telling Gina about it earlier. Mm-hmm. And last year I did the same trip with one of my close friends and he was in the process of uh, closing on, on a property and he was working at whether he wanted a fixed or variable rate. And we were going on chairlifts and every time we would go up, it was just this question that was going through his mind, fixed or variable, fixed or variable. And I think he asked like everybody around us whether whether they would choose fixed or variable. Yeah. And in the end, he ended up choosing fixed because exactly what you said, it gave him peace of mind. Yeah. And so I think it really just depends on who you are and you need to understand like, it's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for everyone. So exactly. Yeah, the risk aversion is definitely a big, big factor. But Gina, it sounds like you have been in this kind of environment for a really long time. So how how did you get to this point where you became like a successful broker? And if somebody's interested in pursuing this, this path, like what are the avenues out there for them? Yeah, so I've worked in finance for six years, actually, as of this February. Um, I started my career working for a credit union in BC. And within that credit union, I held several roles. Um, I got my mutual fund license, um, worked in lending, helped people with personal loans get out of debt. And then I also did um, mortgage underwriting as well. During the pandemic, I decided that working from home wasn't for me. Um, and I decided to take a leap of faith. And I started my financial literacy company and podcast as well. Um, Um, And that's when I decided that there was like such a big want to learn how to make money work harder for them in terms of the millennials that I was dealing with. So um, I was actually kind of shocked. I was like, wow, there's so many people that want to learn more about financial literacy, but they don't know who to turn to. So I started my financial literacy company. And then from there, I built a portfolio of about 500 clients all across the globe. And while I did that, I simultaneously studied for my um, mortgage broker license. I wrote the exam. And I think one of the biggest reasons that I was able to kind of get to the success that I've had in such a short period of time is because I was already working with these clients and I'd built an online presence. So by the time I became licensed, um, there were a ton of people that already knew who I was, that I had this experience, and they were more open coming to me to ask me about anything related to their mortgage financing or any personal finance questions. So when it comes to becoming a mortgage broker, um, I would highly recommend it. It's a great profession. You get so much flexibility. You can technically work remotely, you make your own hours, you decide how many clients you want to work with. um, And it's something that you can do full time or part time. Um, In terms of starting, depending on where you live, for example, I'm in Vancouver. um, So we have to sign up and register for the course through the University of BC, which is UBC. And then from there, I think they give you like a year to self study. Um, It is you do have to teach yourself everything. There are videos and such, but there's no physical teacher that's teaching you the content. Once you've studied, you go and write the exam, um, and it's a very heavily regulated field. So once you've written the exam, you would find a brokerage to work for, um, and then you would pay for some additional licensing fees, and then you can start practicing. Awesome. The fact that you get a whole year to do it is so nice because you can spread yeah. it out. You're not you know, cramming all this content into such a short time frame. 
Totally. Yeah. But I was going to ask, so what, if I'm going to, to get a mortgage, you yeah. talked about like how to get into this profession, which I think is, is awesome. And it sounds like um, it's a great career path for people that, that want the flexibility, but what are the benefits of actually working with a mortgage broker, right? Like if I'm about to buy a place, yeah, can I not just go to the bank and get a mortgage on my own? That's a really good question. So most people think, hey, I'm ready to get a mortgage. I'm going to go to my home branch, wherever they bank. But there's actually so many perks to working with a mortgage broker. So one, mortgage brokers don't actually report to only one bank. They have access to a ton of different lenders. Within my own books, I have access to more than 40 lenders. And this is important because every bank calculates things differently. Um, I'll give you a prime example. If you're purchasing a rental property and you need rental income on the application, every bank has a different calculation as to how much of that rental income they'll use. Um, there's also something called rental add back and offset, which I'm not going to jump into today. But the point being is every bank looks at your application differently. So as a broker, when I sit down with my clients, I get a very thorough understanding of their personal fi financial situation. I take a look at what type of income they earn. Um, you know, are they self-employed? Because there's some banks that cater to people who are self-employed, especially those people that don't take enough dividends out of their business. In addition to this, if they're purchasing a rental property and I see that their income's a little tight, I'm going to go look for a financial institution that's going to maximize the amount of rental income that can be used on the application to help my client qualify. So the amount of mortgage products that I have access to is one of the first reasons that you'd want to work with a mortgage broker. If you go to your home bank like TD or RBC, well, great but you're stuck with RBC's rules or TD's rules and the products that they have. So as a broker, I'm going to find you the most suitable mortgage product based on your goals. Second to this, I have access to so many different banks, meaning I have access to some of the best interest rates. In addition to this, brokers can... Um, they can cut back into their commissions to buy down the rate. So if you're in a position where, you know, you want to get the best interest rate and it's extremely competitive, talk to your broker, say, you know, is there any flexibility with you buying down the rate? Because that's something that we have the ability to do. And finally, flexibility. I worked in a bank setting. I know how heavily inundated they are and understaffed. When you're working with a bank representative, you're stuck to someone that has a nine to five schedule, works Monday to Friday. But in this kind of market, especially where people are placing offers with like two to three subject day removals, um, you can't really work with that. And in some cases, you know, there's these heavy delays when you're working with bank representatives where they don't get back to you right away. As a mortgage broker, I make my own hours. I work Monday to Sunday. My clients need me at 9 p.m. and they have this urgent question. I'm going to pick up and I'm going to be there to answer that question for them. So I think those three reasons alone are enough for someone to want to work with a mortgage broker. A hundred percent. And like the, the costs of actually working with someone are not, you know, they're not um, as comprehensive. Like it's not cost inhibiting. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's, it's definitely worth it just to have someone in your court, like be able to support and like understand your goals and really fighting for you. That's essentially right. what they're doing. Whereas if you're going to a bank, you're not having that, that same handholding, like you're just working with somebody who works at the bank, like exactly how you put it. And you actually touched on a good point. There actually, there's no cost to work with a mortgage broker because at the end of the process, 
you don't pay the mortgage broker anything. It's the bank that they get the mortgage through that actually pays them out a certain amount, which is a commission based on the rate um, and the mortgage size. So it really doesn't cost you anything to work with a mortgage break broker. But of course, do your due diligence and make sure you're working for someone or working with someone that has your best interests at heart. Because just like any profession, there's obviously a ton of mortgage brokers out there that you probably wouldn't want to work with either. 100%. So I feel like we got into a lot of the basics about like what you do and, and how you help people. I had a couple of other ad hoc questions that I told you I was going to surprise you with. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I have one that I thought was really interesting. So if you're looking to buy a place, is it a good idea to buy something with a friend? Okay. Yeah. That's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> so personally for me, I purchased a pre-build with my best friend, but what I will say is just like anything related to your personal finances, when you're making such a big joint decision like that, you need to make sure that the other person is on the same page as you. So if my best friend was really bad with money management, maybe not someone that I trusted, then no, there's no way in hell that you could have got, like, I wouldn't have made that decision. But she's someone that one, has a lot of personal finance experience, has done a really good job saving, someone that I really trust. So we were both on the same page. So when it comes to purchasing real estate, state with a friend or family member or significant other just think about it if you were to give this person a large lump sum of money would you trust it in their hands if the answer is yes then maybe this is a good decision if the answer is no then I wouldn't do it that's a good way to put it like whether or not if you hand this person a wad of cash what they're gonna yeah. do with it right definitely a good way the, the one thing that I will say I had a friend uh, who wanted to buy a rental property with uh, another good friend of his and there, there gets, um, there gets to a point where it's not just the two people that are involved in that actual purchase. It's their family that could be potentially involved if they're co-signing, for example, yes. or um, you know, even like their partner, their significant other. So that becomes a little bit tricky because you're not just dealing with this person that you trust to know really well. You're dealing with all of these other factors and other like um, people that are at an arm's length to them. So, yeah. That's an important note to make as well. And if you do decide to purchase real estate and you end up getting a mortgage and you're doing this with your friend, you also need to think about, um, because once you have one mortgage, it's going to be difficult for you to qualify for your second or third if that's something that you foresee down the road. So it's also something important to know. When I had that conversation with my girlfriend, we opted to buy a pre-build, but I know that she's about to get married. She's engaged and she wants to purchase property with her soon-to-be husband. So we decided once this pre-build completes, we're going to assign it. We're going to flip it and collect our profits. And we never intended to get a mortgage because I know it's important to her to get a mortgage with her significant other but if she already had one with me it would impact her ability to qualify so I think that's something else that people need to think about is future planning like um, you know if I do decide to purchase a property down the road um, I need to make sure that I'm able to qualify so it's either you sell your existing property or you make enough income to be able to debt service both properties yeah I've had actually a lot of like successful um, examples of people being in business like buying property together like my dad and his best friend have a place together that they rent out it's a rental property and it's it's incredibly successful like their partnership works for them and yeah. I think the key is you treat it like a business and exactly you, like a business relationship and if you are going to go into business with a friend that's exactly what you're doing you need to lay out your goals ahead of time exactly like you put it but also what's the worst case scenario and you need to be clear on your exit strategy. Exactly. I've seen a lot of, um, actually with like 
boyfriend girlfriend relationships where they're not married and they purchase property together and then they break up and it just turns into this giant mess um and even like a legal battle in most cases so you have to think worst case scenario but like you mentioned you treat it like a business relationship and oftentimes if you purchase a property with a friend and you sell it you'll likely do it again with the same person right because you had such a good experience 100 percent. yeah that can be really messy like me and alex when we bought our place we weren't married but we like we like I know that he's my life partner you know yeah, so I'm not yeah. necessarily worried about that um but listing out and like talking through that ahead of time is so 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 key it is yeah and especially like if it's a fresh relationship probably not a good idea to yeah. buy a place with somebody been dating for a year exactly yeah that's a big one okay I have another question and okay. this one's a little bit more specific so um the person asking this has had or took out money using the home buyers program out of his okay. RSP and he's paid back, he or she has paid back uh, 50% of it. Nice. So the question is whether or not they should be working towards paying off the rest of the home buyer program loan or putting that money towards their mortgage. Um, with the home buyer repayment plan, because I've never actually experienced someone doing that before, isn't it? They're just putting the money back into their RSPs aggressively, yeah, you, but they have a certain time frame, right? 10 years. Okay. That's a really good question. Um, I would honestly probably put it back into my RSPs. Reason being is again, you can invest the money in your RSPs, put it into the stock market and earn more. So it's just kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of this discussion where, you know, are you, does it make sense for you to aggressively pay down your mortgage or does it make sense to take that money and invest it elsewhere where you can make more? So I would probably focus on repaying my RSPs back and then investing that money. Yeah, I had the same the same thought as soon as I saw that. I'm like, what's going to yeah. get you a better interest rate? So yeah. definitely really interesting. Um, but Gina, I do um, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about private lending too, if you've got some time. Like, is that something that you've yeah. ever explored or like you work you work on? Yeah, I work with private lenders. I've never personally obviously lent money, so I've never been in their shoes. But I do know that there are certain situations, for example, where a client can't qualify for a mortgage on their own and they really need to purchase property. Um, or maybe they're in a situation where they want a construction mortgage and they don't qualify. So private lending is essentially you approach a person or an entity of some sort and they lend you the money. They have very bare minimal qualifications um when it comes to the amount in terms of qualifying you like a bank would but it does entail much higher rates so private lending is good because as a borrower if i really need money i know that that, it, that it's an option but it's also meant to be something short term so it means you get the money, the capital that you need to complete your project or to make the purchase, but then you find another solution. It's not meant to be like a long-term solution. And then on the opposite end, if you're someone that wants to be a private lender, yes, it's, it's like a very lucrative business to be in. Um, there's actually a platform called GoPeer that I recently learned about, and they essentially allow you to invest into consumer loans. So if I wanted to get into this business um, with a small um, lump sum of cash, I could go to GoPeer, give them my money. And then from there, I could decide who I want to lend it to. Um, and you would essentially make passive income because when the borrower that lent, or that was given the money pays back their loan, you make a certain percentage of it every month as well. Gotcha. The only reason I was asking is I've been <laughs> looking at, um, different ways to invest and yeah. recently learning more and more about that. And I came across mix as well, which is a way for people to invest in mortgages. So have okay. you, um, have you ever invested in a mix? 
No, I've never invested in a mic, but it is something that I've been learning more about as well. Um, and just looking at different alternative investment options, but you could talk more about that. Yeah, no, I think it's just, it's fascinating. Like the fact that there are, yeah. like you said, there's so many options out there for people and you're not locked into like traditional, like you don't have to buy index funds. You don't have to buy ETFs if yeah. you want to explore. I think real estate is an awesome way to invest as well. So with a make, you are essentially investing in a mortgage investment mortgage. corporation. And yeah. then what that corporation does is they invest in mortgages. So sure. you get a percentage back, like you get interest on it. There's a certain rate. Um, so it's there's a lot of different different things to explore there. I haven't fully dived in. I haven't invested yeah. in one yet, but just wanted to see if you have, if you had any thoughts to share. Yeah. I'd it read sounds about like we're them. both on the same journey. <laughs> totally. It's like, it's just like another potential investment vehicle that you could look at. And it's like kind of like a REIT too. Like if you don't want to purchase real estate right now and you don't have the capital to do so, you could invest into a real estate investment trust. And that's a great way for you to kind of get into the market or into the real estate sector. And REITs are also structured in a way where they have to legally pay out a certain amount in dividends. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was, I was reading about that. The fact that REITs pay such high dividends is mainly yeah. because of like the way that they're structured and their accounting structure. Yeah. And as a, as a consumer, like you can drip those dividends, you can reinvest them back into the REIT, which is something that I love to do. And yeah. Yeah. But that's a, a huge thing. I'm happy you brought that up. Like REITs are an awesome way for people to get into the market uh, if they want to buy real estate, but don't necessarily have the money for a down payment right away. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on having people put money into the stock market right before they're ready to buy? No, 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 no. Don't ever do that. So when it comes to making a big purchase, I don't recommend that people invest their money into the stock market unless they have at least a three-year time horizon. And I think what's happening in the markets right now is a prime example as to why you wouldn't want to invest in the short term because you have to be able to ride out the, the storm, right? Um, so if you're if you're about to make a big purchase, whether it's real estate or anything, um, like you're saving for your wedding too, if you don't have a three-year time horizon or longer, please don't invest in the stock market. I mean, you could do it, but there's also like a huge risk that you're taking that you might potentially lose money. 100%. Yeah. I think people associate the stock market with being risky. It's risky in the short run, but yeah. not investing is riskier in the long run because you're going to lose sure. so much of that to inflation. Exactly. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll end it off there because we went into a lot of different things. I think we talked about all things mortgages, how people can get into the space, how they yeah. can qualify for a mortgage, how they can work with a broker, why they should work with a broker. Um, and then we had some ad hoc surprises at the end too. Those are good um, questions. Yeah, yeah, they definitely were. I picked up some of the best ones. I didn't want to um, just reiterate all and, you know, talking in circles, but I feel yeah. like we got a lot of different things out in this and, and I'm happy we, we did it today. Me too. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you bringing me onto your platform. Thank you so much, Gene. I appreciate you.